Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today. The purpose for me hitting record for this episode is to share my experience this past weekend, which I spent in Ottawa attending a science conference uh, on COVID-19, as well as soaking in the vibes of the peaceful protests in Ottawa. I'm coming off a long hiatus of recording episodes with one huge favor to ask of you, my regular listeners, or anyone listening for that matter, whether you're inside Canada or outside Canada in the United States or abroad elsewhere, and that is that I ask that you please share this episode far and wide. And I believe that's so important because getting my very positive experience out into the world is, yeah, I think super important given the contrast that exists from my experience and what is being broadcast on mainstream news media and, you know, state of emergency being declared by the prime minister as well as the premier of Ontario. So um, this is not my usual joyful demeanor for, you know, biographical episodes. There is no lesson plan per se, no crazy rewilding adventures. And uh, it's very serious because I do believe that Canada is in some trouble. Now that said, I do begin today's episode with a little bit of a breakdown or an exploration of what eco-psychology is and why I believe that a good majority of Canadians right now would actually benefit from working with an eco-psychologist and adopting this lens or mindset of connectivity with nature. Also in today's episode, and most importantly, I kind of put on that ethnographer hat, if you will, and share my notes from a weekend of, you know, really just diving in and seeing what this protest was all about. So I cover the size of the protest, what I did, my interactions with locals, um, you know, which for the most part were very friendly and were at the, the protest and um, how protesters were actually blocked in. I think I spent a lot of time here in this episode on that and why I think that's interesting from a, a legal perspective and also, you know, obviously paying attention to what the police presence was like and how that was also very peaceful. So I finished with attention to the conversation that a lot of people were saying there, which is shifting to uh, not only, you know, obviously ending the mandates, but like what's next after that, holding decision makers accountable, you know, before the Iron Curtain closes potentially. So overall, I like to think that, you know, I took on that ethnographer role. And again, these are my notes, take it or leave it. I hope they, that you find them helpful. Um, again, please share this with anyone who might think that this movement is hateful or full of racist white nationalists. Um, I'm, you know, breaking my silence here from recording episodes because I believe now is the time for all of us to break our silence in whatever way we can or whatever way we feel comfortable doing. Um, I say all we need is that little step, you know, little little sacrifice or just embracing some discomfort. Um, you know, if we do oppose these mandates, I'd say now is the time to, you know, break that silence. And that's what I'm doing from, again, the scientific stance that I've been taking throughout most of this uh, pandemic. So please, my fellow Canadians, I ask that, yeah, now's the time we all take that one small step. So again, a little bit more of a somber mood to this episode, but I hope you find it beneficial. So I'd like to finish by saying this, that if you are having a hard time with COVID-19 restrictions, or if you have been, or you know someone who has been, um, you know, there's plenty of good research out there, you know, coming out now about the benefit people are finding from nature connection practices. So please get out and mindfully interact with the natural world as often as you can in whatever way that you like to. Um, there's no wrong way to do that. And if you feel you need more support, please reach out to me at sean at rewildmybio.com and I can put you in touch with an eco-psychologist or an eco-therapist or, you know, 
alternative health professional. Um, this is something I don't normally, you know, extend to listeners in previous episodes, but I feel like going forward, this is definitely something that needs to be offered here on this platform going forward. So again, take good care and I hope you find today's episode helpful. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self-help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. Welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. I'm your host, Sean Slade. This, in fact, is installment number 45 here with the show, and it's been a while, to say the least, since I've hit record here, so I had to dust off the equipment, remember what these buttons do, and uh, yeah, we're in action. We've got the red light going, so I want to say thanks so much for being here. I hope you can stick around to the end of this episode today because I'm going to uncover my observation and it's a recap slash, you know, kind of adding context to the weekend I spent up in Ottawa observing what was going on with the convoy, the trucker convoy that is in Ottawa. And so, you know, I had to put feet on the ground because I had to feel it out for myself. You know, I'm seeing one message, one narrative that I've been very skeptical of um, with good reason for from a scientific perspective point of view, as well as just trusting my gut over the last couple of years, things that I'm seeing on the news don't really hold their weight in water. So I had to go there and see for myself. And that's what this episode here is today. Basically, the whole point of today is to just share my kind of observations and, you know, um, like I say, and kind of add context to uh, some of the live streams and posts that I was doing while I was there on Instagram. And, you know, you got pictures of me dancing in really large crowds and um that was the one message I mean that's what was there everywhere so that's what a lot of those uh, live feeds showed basically but and that's just that's just it that's what that event really really was um was just this joyous celebration of Canadian diversity and love and unity and it's an amazing opportunity if you know if this message gets out to the masses and that's why I'm hitting record because I want to share this because I think so many people out there have this view um, that it you know could be racist or this white supremacist nationalist movement and it's nothing even close to that at least from my experience so that's a quick intro um, for today I do have you know some notes here that I'm hoping to hit in order And so the first real point is kind of what I've already touched on, and that's, you know, I posted some lives on my sacrificial Instagram page, and I, um, which basically has been the extension of this podcast, you know, as I haven't been hitting record, I'm still trying to uh, write things, um, you know, food for thought, if you will, and post them online because I um, have a hard time completely staying silent in these unjust times. So I want to do this episode to add context to those posts, you know, of me dancing, blowing goose calls, and, uh, you know, as well as comments that I made on these posts, you know, that people who need the current corrupt government to tell them when it's safe to take off a mask, and, and how I believe that those people need a 
eco-psychologist. And it sounds harsh saying someone needs a psychologist. I don't know what people need. Um, but I feel that an eco-psychologist would help. And yes, this is harsh to hear, um, especially if you're someone who maybe is waiting for the government to tell them um, to take off their mask. Now, I'm not talking about people who need to wear it for work or to make your living. Um, and so I, I just want to dull the edge here for a lot of people listening, because I know we all have to wear masks at certain times. I do as well, right? So, um, but I'm trying my best just, you know, really to be radically candid here. And uh, what I mean by that is to be honest, right? To be candid, but at the, that radical piece is really does mean to get to the root. And I just did a post recently on Instagram talking, how, talking about how right now we need to be totally radical. Radical meaning... Uh, from the Latin word, um, I think radicus needs, means root or actually means the word radish, right? So it's a radish, a radish is a root vegetable. To be radical means to go to the root, right? To look at things through like a systems approach, you know, and to actually go upstream as much as possible and get to the root of a problem. And that's what we need to do, I believe. And again, why I'm hitting record today is to encourage everyone to get to the root of this and maybe put their own feet on the ground or, you know, start looking beyond the mainstream narrative. So I definitely don't like being political, but in, in these times I feel like um, when you're, when you've been heavily immersed in political science and health science your whole life, and then you're just watching things unfold this way, it's, and no one really seems to be seeing the same thing. It's, it's, it's discerning or, you know, it, it's concerning rather. And it's, um, yeah, again, need to hit record here and come out of, come out of retirement. But What's new in my world, I guess? Why why haven't I been recording? Well, partly because, as I'm mentioning, it's it's quite difficult to come out and speak here on this platform. Uh, that one that you know looks at things through an eco psychological lens, where um, you know I see us as part of nature, and I see that healthcare needs to expand beyond the biomedical model and include more natural alternative ways. And here we are going the absolute opposite direction. So, in these times where I believe people don't need certain medicines to live and be healthy. Um, that view obviously isn't too widely, uh, widely accepted these days, sadly. Um, but I think we're hopefully turning, turning the corner here. Um, as long as the iron curtain here in Canada hasn't completely closed. So I've had a couple episodes recorded, as I mentioned in my last episode, but I did not post those just because of the content of them. Um, and you know, it, with this podcast, the stuff that I maybe post online on, say, Instagram, I like to keep this podcast, you know, long in the tooth, provide context, and balance out the content I put elsewhere that might seem provocative or out of context, right? So here I'd like to actually put time and effort into collecting data, reading studies, reading news, interpreting it in my own way, and, and sharing it with you. So I appreciate you if you like that interpretation or if you see benefit in these conversations, Um yeah, I, I, I mean, that's that's why I'm doing this, right? So it, it does, it takes me time to create this content and for it to be thoughtful and I just don't have time um, or, or at the same time, I don't have time because of my studies, but at the same time, I don't see any benefit per se coming from talking right now. People aren't looking to, to learn right now and so why not focus on my studies, right? Which is what I've been doing and it's, um, it's going very well. Um, and that's kind of why I had to go see what was happening in Ottawa now. Um, because I have hope in what's happening there and then across the world. And I had to just kind of lay this stuff to rest so I could get back to all things studying um, 
And yeah, and I do really truly believe that we are headed into some dark times if the masses do not awaken from this mass psychosis. So um, either way, um, I'm not a protest type and I'm an academic at heart. And, you know, I've been writing quite a bit with all things research and my uh, data collection is officially underway for my study, for my PhD dissertation. So I'm looking at individuals' experience of connecting with nature in the forest setting and what that means to their mental health. So we're doing an uh, interpretive phenomenological analysis, meaning we're getting really deep into the experience, the lived experience of, you know, with rich descriptors of what the experience of connecting with nature is like. We know there's benefits to health in connecting with nature, but what is it like for individuals who enjoy, you know, specifically the forest setting? Because obviously forest therapy being popular right now and, you know, forests are becoming less and less around the world as ecological degradation continues and we're, you know, plowing down uh, forests for monocrop cultured crops and what have you. So anyways, it's, um, yeah, important research, I believe. So other than that, just designing courses for um, and bringing courses to life this year through piloting different nature connection and ecotherapy courses that I'll be offering. Um, you know, I'm working on a conference right now for hopefully this August with a group called the Health Collective based out of London, Ontario. And it's just different leaders, movers and shakers, if you will, in the fitness world of London, Ontario that want to kind of step into my world of nature connection and health. So should be a very interesting weekend conference and I'll hopefully have more of that here to report to on the podcast. If not podcast, then through social media. So um, yeah, please follow along there at Rewild My Bio on the sacrificial Instagram page. Sacrificial in the sense that I don't even know if Instagram allows people to see my content that, you know, don't agree with these views. Um, if, if they're anything like the government in Canada right now, they're doing their best to make sure that citizens of Ottawa don't go down to the, the protest to actually get a sense for themselves of how amazing and what an amazing candidate party they're missing out. Um, I feel like, yeah, everybody's getting censored so that people who want to just blindly accept the mainstream narrative can stay, can stay asleep essentially and uh, more easily for them to buy into that. So, um, but anyways, that's why we hit record and that's why these podcasters are out there. I mean, a lot of great people doing um, great things, getting this information out. Well, I haven't been. So I've, um, at the end of this here today, I'm going to leave you guys a few resources that are a lot more, you know, uh, they're staying current. They're doing timely episodes daily and updates as to what's happening there in Ottawa and elsewhere in, in the world. So, um, let's first, before we dive into my experience though, paint a picture as to why I say people need a psychologist if they're waiting for the government to tell them to take off their mask or so why, why the need for eco-psychology and what eco-psychology is. So, you know, like I say, please don't hit cancel if you believe that masks are helpful and if they make you feel safe, that's not my intent to uh, criticize or demean you. I'm being, again, radically candid here um, and there's a purpose for this. I have love for you. That's why I'm that's why I'm putting this out there. So I'm sure if you're listening, you may already share these views, but I'm hoping that I can bridge the gap here. I don't want to be divisive in my tone um, or with my satire in any way, shape, or form. So um what I'm what I want to say is that I believe that, you know, through working with an eco a psychologist, someone say such as myself or as I'm becoming to uh, take on that identity more and more here as I get closer to finishing school. And looking at what's next for me and helping people. We can replace the safety one feels they get from a mask with the safety 
from the knowing that we too are a part of nature. And I think that is something that we can easily make a transfer to. If, if we're, you know, feeling that the mask is our safety blanket, I think we can replace that with nature. And I think a lot of people are doing that and learning about that. Um, and I have a lot of hope because of things I've seen lately with people waking up on and around specifically masks. So as you know, I've done an episode on masks. I've went through a three month rabbit hole, put stu- my studies aside to look at the literature around masks. And I guess now could even be good for my little caveat as I always try to do, just so I don't sound like totally anti-mask and um, whether or not I provide literature for this, most likely not, because I don't think people care or look at this type of stuff in show notes when I put scientific literature. Where masks might be beneficial is say if you are feeling sick, you're coming down with something, you're run down, you know you're run down, um, and you're expelling like particulate matter through your nose and mouth, you're sneezing, you're coughing, that type of symptoms, you're in, like, you know, you're feeling sick and you have to go out. First, I would say stay home. Um, and this, is, of course, is considering that the idea of contagion is indeed um, the way in which we pass viruses. We know that with COVID, it is aerosolized, so masks become less of a benefit. But let's say we are really sick and we, we don't know if COVID or not, doesn't matter if we're sick. We put on an N95 mask and that first and foremost is going to signal, it's a social signal to everyone around us that I'm sick. So maybe keep your distance from me. I'm also wearing this mask, this N95 mask that actually can block, you know, all particulate matter. It would need to be an N95 mask though. No surgical mask, no face cloths, no neck gaiters type thing. And yes, so I mean, and again, that's assuming that this is the way viruses are passed, which I'm not going to say I fully am well read in that world of science, but it's something that I've been reading more about and I'm questioning how exactly things are passed from person to person. But again, you'd also wear gloves in this time if you were sick and you wouldn't be touching your mask or moving it. You know, you'd be putting this on safely in the car. You'd be putting ma- or putting gloves on going into say the pharmacy or the grocery store. Let's say you're, let's hope your, your pharmacy is the grocery store. I, yeah. But um, wherever you got to go, hopefully you don't have to go out. So that's kind of the, the mask 101 if you need to. But again, um, you wouldn't put a mask on to stop yourself from catching something. That is completely bogus, unscientific. There's nothing in the, nothing that could hold its weight. Um, the methodologies of a lot of the research that I've seen, I just, you know, I do not like them. So, um, and I have good reason to not like, we don't live in laboratories where the methodologies are using to test whether or not these things keep people safe. They do not uh, extrapolate well into the real world. I would argue so. Um, but anyways, back to what is eco-psychology. So let's, real quick, um, been doing a deep dive as I write different sections of my dissertation, in one of which is into the world of eco-psychology um, through researchers like Andy Fisher, as well as Craig Calquist. Um, I've purchased a whole bunch of textbooks. It's been fun <laughs> uh, since, you know, not recording. Reading textbooks takes time very uh very dry material so need all the time in the world and uh caffeine and other things to help me stay focused but let's get into some of the content that is um, available through one of craig caliquist's uh courses online courses on eco psychology and i will leave that in the show notes because it's worth doing unlike reading scientific papers the definition of eco-psychology that Mary Gomes, if there's a mother of the field of eco-psychology, it'd be the work of Mary Gomes. And this is from a book, uh, Revision, which was published in the spring of 1998. And it says, 
Eco-psychology emerged, emerged over the past several years as an intellectual and social movement that seeks to understand and heal our relationship with the earth. It examines the psychological processes that bond us to the natural world or that alienate us from it. We need to uncover ways to heal the culture as well as the individuals who live in it. Eco-psychology is essentially about becoming cultural healers. So I love that definition uh, for a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, it says here, it examines the psychological process that bond us to the natural world. So all things nature connection and forest therapy with, with my research, you know, immersive nature experiences, um, re rewilding, you know, the aspects of rewilding that allow us to connect with nature. Um, and then there's the aspect that alienates us from it, right? So we look at modern day civilization. Um, we look at the past two years in the, in the story that the narrative that's been told doesn't, doesn't connect us with nature, doesn't connect us with the reality that we are viruses and that, um, you know, through, through viruses, we've become human, we've become resilient, right? Um, pushing forth the idea that we need these external medicines to, you know, keep us alive, keep us human. It, it, when meanwhile, these are, in a sense, not vaccines, this mRNA vaccine is not a vaccine. They've had to change the definition of the word vaccine. This is more like gene therapy. We are we are messing with the human genome through this massive experiment, right? So, and it's about, again, uncovering ways to heal the culture as well as the individual. So I love that, you know, because I often focus on individuals and I see that as being a part of creating a whole society, a, a well-functioning society, whereas there's opportunities for others. Like, let's say I mentioned Andy Fisher there, who likes to focus on the social connection between the human psyche and nature, right? And, and where society and culture connect with nature. And yeah, there's healing to be done on, on both levels. So I think there's just a, a broad field and that's why I'm excited to kind of jump into it. I think with a little bit more of that, you know, um, erring on the side of the individual and, and self-sovereignty. And that's why I believe, again, freedom is freedom of choice, freedom um, of speech is so important to having a good whole functioning society because without whole functioning individuals, we can't have, I would say, the whole functioning culture. We can't mandate it from the top down. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, but yeah, all of us becoming cultural healers. Let me read another one here from Theodore Rozak um, in The Voice of the Earth. So in the mid-1990s, if there were a father of the field of eco-psychology, it would be Ted Rozak. So eco-psychology holds that there is a synergistic interplay between planetary and personal well-being. The term synergy is chosen deliberately for its traditional theological connotation, which once taught that the human and divine are cooperatively linked in the quest for salvation. The contemporary ecological translation of the term might be the needs of the planet are the needs of the person. The rights of the person are the rights of the planet. So powerful right now in this world. We're seeing the split, you know, um, and I like the word synergy being deliberately chosen for its roots in, you know, or its theological connotation. And I think that's great because we're bringing in the, the divine, the spiritual and the physical, right? And, and marrying those two things together. And I think in these times we're seeing science, you know, air quote science um, or big science kind of overstepping its its boundaries and, and being cherry picked and used obviously by the ruling elite. So really like that definition. And uh, the fact, again, the needs of the planet are the needs of the person. The rights of the person are the rights of the planet. And so right now as individual personal rights get squashed on, it doesn't look so good for the planet. And again, 
we'll talk about this more, but like we're going to see lockdowns in the future. If these laws don't get uh, revoked completely and no more asterisks that allow them to invoke, you know, emergency powers that go against the charter. Um, yeah, we're going to see like lockdowns in the future for climate change, the next bad flu year. If we get another like 2018, 2017, 2018 flu year lockdown, you know what I mean? This one here is from uh, Andy Fisher in Radical Eco-Psychology. Uh, Eco-Psychology is psychology undertaking the essential, that essentially says we too are part of nature. End quote. So yeah, we too are part of nature. So that, with the perspective of, you know, thinking that if we needed masks, then nature's intelligence would have given us one by now, right? Um you know, so I'll leave it there. Last one is from a group of uh, scholars, individuals, writers that um, came together under the with I believe within a ecotherapy context. Um, and yeah, so anyways, put forth this definition in uh, the Bay Area of California in the '90s when the field was really kind of taking off. So eco-psychology is the effort to understand, heal, and develop the psychological dimensions of the human-nature relationship, in brackets, psychological, biosocial, spiritual, through connecting and reconnecting with natural processes in the web of life. At its core, eco-psychology suggests that there is a synergistic relation between planetary and personal well-being, that the needs of one are relevant to the other. So again, that one's kind of similar or expanding on the earlier definition from uh, Ted Rozak there. So if my statements about saying someone needs a psychologist still sounds harsh after this, then so be it. I'm, I apologize if I've offended you, but that is not my intention. My intention is to lend a helping hand. So at the end, or I shouldn't say at the end right now, if, if you are having a challenging time throughout, you know, COVID and everything that's happening in the world right now, and you need someone to talk to pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, you don't have to just be in the Ontario area. I can help you find an eco-psychologist or any, you know, matter of naturopathic doctors or someone um, that if you're, if you're done kind of following the mainstream narrative and you want to start taking responsibility and taking healthcare, you know, turning healthcare into self-care, please do reach out. Um, people often ask, well, then what are we supposed to do? It's like, yeah, talk to someone, have a therapist, Start making steps to, to, you know, enter into a whole parallel society and, and things like that, which is, you know, kind of what I've chatted at with the last episode on Show Me Your Papers. So, um, and yeah, I, I guess, again, like vilifying viruses, said this many times, but I should say it again. We shouldn't be, vi we shouldn't be um, vilifying viruses. And I actually have, where is this? I'm going to pull this up right now um, because I think it's, important and it's a someone with a lot more knowledge on viruses speaking on why we shouldn't be vilifying them um, and it's coming from dr zach bush and this is from i'm going to take a clip from uh aubrey marcus podcast and uh the whole you know tag here on this post is stop demonizing viruses so let me play this right now genetics of the viruses are certainly the genetics of every living being so the human human cell has 20,000 genes, which is a pathetically low number. Fruit fly has 13,000 genes. Flea has 30,000 genes. So you, you sit a little closer to a fruit fly than a flea and your genetic intelligence. 
accept that it's not the genes that make your intelligence. It's the 98.5% of the rest of the DNA that didn't seem to be doing anything. We, in fact, called it junk DNA that seems to have all the intelligence in it. And we now know that of those 20,000 human genes, over 50% were directly inserted into the mammalian genome from viruses. More than 8% of our genes from mom and dad were actually inserted by retroviruses like HIV. And so we have to fundamentally start, stop demonizing all viruses. We need to understand them as functions of genetic intelligence. And when our bodies decide to integrate those into DNA, there's a high purpose within that. All right. There is a high purpose with that, right? So interfering, throwing a monkey wrench because science says, when meanwhile science hasn't even gone through the proper processes of testing safety of, you know, mRNA gene therapy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite alarming, right? So again, we have to reintegrate. We have to, this is science, we're not throwing science away here. We are reintegrating and we are, or we are integrating rather the new understanding of what viruses are and we're looking at them through a lot more of a you know ecological consciousness if you will that we are part of this environment and we interact with it and we get information from it so it's a wonderful thing why else would i say that people need a psychologist well because i i did observe a few people um you know from the brief interactions i had with locals um could tell that they were you know not doing well maybe they were you know again i'll touch on what the event was like but most people are living far away from this, that city's functioning fine. They're sleeping well. There's no horns honking at night anyways. So, um, but I could tell people weren't well and I could tell they were out of touch with their true nature from the brief interactions that I had. And I'll speak to that later, potentially, if I want to even go, th go there. But um, the other thing was the, just like overall the energy downtown and the energy a few blocks away um, kind of shows like the, you have people who are connected with nature. I'm not going to assume everybody is down there because I don't know that. My purpose for being there is from, again, this perspective, this eco-psychological scientific lens saying that we don't need mandates, vaccine mandates. And so when you're there with people that have, you know, for the most part, this understanding or a, a big, many just have, without standing on the side of science, have their gut feeling or the trust in God or, or Jesus or whatever it may be that keeps them, you know, knowing that this isn't necessary. So I can connect with those people. Um, and so when you have that type of environment there and then just a few blocks away, it's not there and it's that mundane city vibe. And I mean, Ottawa's not the most beautiful city in the sense of like government buildings with no windows, stone, concrete, and sure, beautiful statues and things, but like, and the parliament buildings are beautiful, but every other building, you know, just kind of, and, um, and so that's why you see the need for this type of cultural healing, right? That eco-psychology provides is that you got this environment of like love. And I'll be saying here in a bit, like just like a pure burning man experience, really. Um, and so that's why I'd love to see this energy explode out of there as to what it truly is. And that's why I think it's connecting with people despite the, that cognitive dissonance when they talk to their coworker who just consumes six hours of cbc a day right and it's hard to push back against the mainstream it's you know um and that's why i think again we're in we're in this for the long haul but but yeah i, I think yeah i mean i'm we're well into today's podcast and, and and as of right now here today when i record this uh just yesterday on valentine's day the conservative motion to you know strike down the mandates or it was stricken down in the house of commons this uh, this motion, NDPs and Liberals voted to keep, you know, things going. Um, so, you know, there are changes here, no mandates apparently, but restaurants can impose them. Um, 
And, you know, will the politicians admit that this is because of the protests? Why they're, you know, backtracking and or sidestepping and kind of going back on mandates? Of course not. You know, they're already saying it's because Dr. Tam said that this is the, the right direction. So, but if you ask me from what I've seen, it, it's literally the House of Commons gained like four or five extra seats and they're all sitting out on Wellington Street in the cabs of 18 wheelers, right? So, um, yeah, but I'm just putting context here to this, this episode. So, I mean, it's it's pretty, pretty crazy right now in Canada and let's just hope that um, more people, you know, share things like this that are going to, and I am going to get to um, a real cut and dry as to, you know, what I saw, what I did, um, and all that here in a minute. But yes, I I just want to say that I truly do believe that why we're seeing everybody step back is because of this energy that this movement's created. And um, they won't admit the power of this movement because they can't fight what this movement is about. And that is, um, you know, so they bend the truth and they call these protesters terrorists. Um, and they're doing this, you know, they're totally doing all this back backstepping because of the protesters. And, you know, they're basically in the future, we're going to see like lockdowns for the flu. We're going to see lockdowns for climate change. We're going, and this is all because of the bogus COVID lockdowns. And you can't, the problem, why they're trying to make it seem like it's not because of protesters, because you can't fight, you know, the spirit of love. You can't fight, um, you can't control that. And that's how they operate is through division. And everything that I've seen there basically confirms that they're telling, pointing their cameras, their paid mainstream media cameras right towards the story they need to tell. So you can't control unity, love, peace, togetherness, you know. It, it was truly, I saw all those things in the most amazing Canadian fashion. That's how I experienced Ottawa. It's diversity at its finest, Canada at its finest, Canada, Canadians at their finest. And I know I'm just, again, super proud to be Canadian again. And, you know, part of that weekend. Um, truckers, like, you have my support after what I've seen, who I talked to and everything like that. There was, it's not a, you know, white nationalist, supremacist, it's a racist you know, I don't know how CBC is getting footage like that. They'd have to have, you know, people staged throughout getting the dumbest people, the drunkest guy falling over or whatever, or like staging things, or maybe, yes, maybe people are coming with a, a Nazi, you know, with a swastika flag. I don't know. I never saw it. Right. So, um, but, uh, you know, really like the mandates are supposed to be coming to a close here in Canada. So that's a good step in the right direction. There is no more QR code. So they say, I say, yeah, right, wait till the next big flu season. Um, and, I, and what I found really interesting here is what the conversation starts to be amongst people that I'm rolling with or is, is now what's next. Who's getting fired and who's going to be, you know, seen in front of a judge. Um, the science is there to support, you know, the politicians and the, and the bureaucrats knew that masks, social distancing, vaccines weren't doing or were doing harm. They, 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 they knew this. They're, these reports were given. They've seen these things. They chose to ignore them. Uh, they chose to keep pushing mandates that were hurting people. So, you know, really, why do that? What is this for? It's not for health and safety. You're going against it. Science shows this. This is not for our health and safety. You know, and so these structures who 
don't know the science per se. Maybe they do. I'm not, it's not for me to say. I don't know. But maybe, you know, they at least now know, I think, through that weekend, um, or at least from that science debate that I had attended, which I'll get to, um, they know what their heart tells them is true. You know, when you see big truckers crying and doing this for kids, you can't beat this. Um, well, I shouldn't say can't, unless, of course, like some agent provocateur comes in and ruins the whole peace, love, unity vibe that is being created from there. Or something happens anywhere in the world right now that, you know, is that one of these convoys and they try to blanket everyone as, you know, terrorists, right? So if that happens, I think the world will erupt in some really dark times and it will be quite scary. So, um, you know, from a political science standpoint, um, you know, has the has the Prime Minister of Canada just declared war on his citizens by, you know, invoking the Emergency Security Act or what have you? Um yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty scary, but it, the paradox is real. And here we are to talk about the truckers here, finally, as I've provided context for words and things that I've I've done, I guess. I wanted to do that first, but really, like, the paradox is real. We've got the excesses of consumer culture, you know, semi-trucks, saving that which is good in the modern world. You know, things like freedom, self-sovereignty, believing in a loving God, you know, <laughs> the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's just like... It, the paradox is real, so here we are, living, as I always say, right? Um, so the size of the protest, how big is it? It's much much smaller physically than I thought it was going to be. There's probably around 400 trucks, I thought I heard, um, throughout the downtown core, mainly. There are a couple other peripheral camps that are just basically parked, one on the street, one in a parking lot remaining quiet, self-sufficient, self-governing, um, in a way, like, you know, police presence is there. Um, but the and as far as the size here, I want to stick with that. The energy is much bigger than what physically I saw. So it's kind of like when you go into New York City, or so I've heard people say it's, it's smaller, but at the same time, it's bigger in the sense of the energy or the aura or what it, you know, feels like. So it feels bigger than it looks. And again, it's like, feels identical to Burning Man living in the present moment, gifting, uh, radical inclusion, uh, cleaning up after yourself, you know, seeing people picking up cigarette butts. Um, the protest in a way almost seems like it was for show, as I was saying with the people I went with. It seems like it was for show. And, and this is because truckers are actually blocked in and they can't leave. Um, I'll talk more about that, but it's weird because the government's telling them to leave, but they're actually blocked in. They can't leave. And all lanes that need to be open for emergency traffic is completely open and, and functioning. The city is functioning in that regard. Like again, you travel one block outside of the city protest, you know, say four blocks from parliament, and it's like a regular functioning city there it's with a big, huge festival going on downtown. Um, there's, there is no state of emergency here, right? Um, yeah, it's just like, I, I, now that said, on Saturday, the place did erupt into a sea of people from all over Canada, um, a very eclectic group um, from, you know, you had the smell of cannabis in the air. It was strong, just as, you know, Justin Trudeau likes the party. Justin Trudeau, the party animal, likes, um, you know. But, like, again, very eclectic group, business professionals, artists, um, like everything in between, black people, white people, gay, straight, a um, lot of indigenous, a lot of indigenous presence there. Um, and, again, people from all over, people who tell their story. You know, my you know, someone's, you know, listening to someone play music. They're French-Canadian Dad was from Jamaica, or, or mom was French Canadian. Dad was from Jamaica. Like just true 
salt of the earth Canadians. It was, it was amazing. So as far as the reaction of locals go, uh, what did I witness there? Um, so they're laying on the message pretty hard, you know, within Ottawa, um, that everyone that's there is carrying disease, right? So the, the stay inside message is strong. It's almost like people don't want to be out and about. And I understand that this convoy rolled in there pretty hot and heavy and, and loud. And for a while, there was a lot of horn honking all hours of the day. So once that got cleared up and the message, you know, that was that's why we're seeing this change again. They listened, all right? You can't not listen or you'll go deaf, basically. So um, like Professor... Um, Brian, Brian Brittle there, he was presenting at this conference and he was telling a story about they're actually testing the snow for, uh, for COVID because they're worried about these people like, yeah, again, expelling COVID into the, so again, Ottawa is a stronghold of, of government employees, very stronghold of liberal support. So it's, it's obviously, it becomes like people taking on their political identity, right? And getting very upset, seeing all these people from Alberta and cowboys in, in town, everyone's wearing camo and you know, went into an LCBO and the manager kind of commented, oh, is it hunting season? A lot of people wearing camo and it's just like, ugh, didn't know, didn't know you could make such a comment in such a, like a, a you know, demeaning kind of way under his breath. It, it was weird. Um, you know, and other people had honk if you love Trudeau signs and the odd sign, you know, you'd see leave our city alone or what have you or whatever, right? And I, I saw no counter protests or anybody like that. Um, you know, restaurants were open and closed at the same time. It was weird. Um, I don't know why they all weren't open. Most washrooms that were, or most places that were open, their bathrooms, washrooms were closed. So um, that like, again, I don't know why places aren't open making a killing. I gather they were open, then they closed um, because of the state of the emergency or, or something like that. And so businesses that decide to stay open, stayed open. Like I went into a few, you know, no mask and no QR code and you could sit there and eat and no, no one's saying anything. Right. So, um, like places that were cool, who knows if Gestapo's are going to come raid them now. But, um, other than that, like, yeah, I, I didn't see much of like way of, you know, locals being put out by all, the, all of this. Right. Um, if anything, they should head down there and see for themselves rather than just watch on TV as to what's happening because they, they really are missing out on an amazing candidate party essentially for, for everyone's benefit, right? And everyone's included down there. So um, did have one interaction with a guy who just basically was we were walking back to the vehicle and someone, this guy under his breath who, you know, look, looking the other way, had a mask on outside and uh, just yelled out, stand up to bullies. And then that's all I, I kept walking. I was silent. I didn't bother saying anything. And and then I guess he's added to that, you lost the election, go home. So a lot of assumptions in there and like a lot of like, you know, childlike energy and just, um, I just really felt, felt bad. I had pity for this person, to tell you the truth, because just, I under, could understand and empathize what was going on with them. So, um, yeah, again, didn't see any counter protesters, but that was basically the interactions with, with locals. Hotel room, you know, it was hard to find a hotel room, but we, we were, we managed to find one for, for three nights. So. Um, but yeah, then that, the hotels were pretty much booked right up. So, so what did I do? Well, I danced. If you've seen that on Instagram, I definitely danced a lot. Um, gifted lots of food to people in need. Uh, you know, looked at art, 
what people would call protest signs, but again, with the Burning Man theme, it looked at art. Um, went to a science debate, which was cool because I did that at Burning Man too with all the, the map stuff around psychedelic research, but went to a science debate that was really more like a, an emotional emotionally filled uh, presentation of science that supports that this mandate is over, that lockdowns are ineffective, um, you know, that the vaccine has failed and there's, you know, no scientific basis for mask mandates and, and vas- vaccine passports, et cetera, right? So, you know, this was in the basement of a hotel room. Dr. Tam et al. were invited but um, didn't show. Dr. Brian Brittle, uh, Dr. Alexander, and Dr. Hutchinson from, I'm forgetting first names, right now um but i hope to maybe put this into a blog in some of the actual papers that they had shared and again things i've seen in the past but some new stuff as well and just overall just hearing their stories and you know dr brittle of hearing stories about you know being called to court and producing 240 pages of scientific evidence and you know explaining what it meant to in regards to the case and then the crown attorney or what have you would just basically present like a 32 page summary just saying things like uh, Know, referencing almost like refer- referencing blogs and and referencing like uh, the scientific consensus on like the World Health Organization's website, which again it's not for the World Health Organization to decide what the consensus is. That's for people like Dr. Brittle and scientists to decide, right? To present and explain. These people are saying this is the accepted, you know, scientific understanding of this. It's it's quite quite scary when yeah you're seeing science basically being turned into politics. Um, so yeah, other than that, what else? Um, you know, Thursday we got into the hotel room late, uh, stopped, grabbed some, some supplies and whatnot, and then walked around. Very quiet night, no horns honking at all. Um, and then Friday got up, went downtown for around lunch, did an Instagram live that is you know posted up there. And uh, my phone died actually, so I couldn't save all of them, which is unfortunate because it was cold there. And so. Um, you know, I wish I had these, but anyways, the science debate, that's also up there. Um, and it, the, the audio quality gets better, I think, some minutes in. But um, yeah, I mean, other than that, like just, yeah, walked around. And I said, danced, talked to people, met Randy Hillier, uh, spoke with Kristen Nagel. We met up. That was great. Um, played hockey, played street hockey, you know. Uh, and like I said, fed people in need, fed people without, without jobs, fed people that were standing up for their rights. And if, if that's a crime in Trudeau's Canada, then I guess I'm a stone cold criminal for feeding people who are in need. If giving someone a sandwich makes me a criminal, then hmm, oh well, I guess, right? And of course, last but not least, uh, was with someone who has I'm actually a former guest on this podcast, Drake Larson, uh, professional goose caller, the Goose Man, hashtag the Goose Man. You can look him up. He's like famous from the weekend. Uh, you know, the injunctions there, you couldn't honk. But uh, of course, Goose Calls wasn't on the list. So he, uh, yeah, owned a, a goose outfitting business. So his Goose Call game is on point. And uh, the smiles on people's faces was the best thing because we're walking around together. And uh, yeah, he's calling out the Goose Call and everyone's applauding and taking videos. So yeah. That was the other thing that I did that was fun. That was, yes, that was me <laughs> being involved in the protest because I did have my goose call as well, but not nearly as good as Drake's. So now I'm going to talk about uh, the protesters being blocked in. I could go into that scientific debate, but since it is on Instagram and out there already, you can hear it for yourself. And I'm sure there's other uh, better audio. I mean, it was fully packed with press, alternative press, 
Um, there was no mainstream media there, obviously, either. But, um, yeah, everything is there. So, I mean, check that out. And it's, you know, science confirming that this pandemic is over, period, full stop. That's it. It's over. So, you know, and it was great to kind of carry that energy out of there. And you're you're stopping at, you know, roadside service stations and that on along the 401 going home. And people, you know, everyone walking around with no masks. And then everybody else looking like, what's going on? And seeing other people just take off their masks. It's, it's super contagious. So... A lot of hope, I guess, from going. And, and you know, me being there, it, it was very healing for me. And at that science, you know, debate, standing on the side of science, um, like that, it, it really does kind of makes you feel like you're not crazy, right? So it was very, very beneficial and healing for me. And it was great to be there with, with the guys that I was there with as we've, you know, been sharing uh, research studies here and, and stuff on our, our thread since the beginning of this. And, you know, just doing all that lamenting that I think you need to, to do a healthy amount of with, with friends. And, and so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a blessing to be there, without a doubt. So protesters are blocked in, which is, sounds weird, but, like, they're making it out to be an occupation. And I do like that word here in some ways as because it has that feeling, but it's not, let me say this loud and clear, this is not a physical um, occupation by any way, shape, or form. The protesters are blocked in. City streets are functioning, and they're working together. And, well, let, I'm going to read from Webster's, or yeah, it's Webster's Dictionary here. I've got um, definition of the word uh, occupy. So the act, one, one of the definitions is uh, the act or process of taking possession of a place or area. So they don't have the control of a place. The police do. So they haven't occupied in this sense, who has control in this area is not the truckers. They are citizens of Canada on a vacation, if you want to say, parked on the side of the road, sometimes in the middle of the road, um, and blocked in. So you're going to, if you're blocked in, you're going to arrange, if you're parked on the side of the road, you're going to arrange, like, I'm again, I'm not a lawyer, but the, these arguments can be made. There's nothing wrong here. There's nothing illegal about what these people are doing. And the other thing is that this area is totally self-governing. As in, it doesn't need police to keep them safe. It is totally self-reliant and capable of interacting peacefully with the city. So um, it's adding life to the city, I would say. It's a beautiful neck of the woods, you know, in, in the city. It's um, it's democracy in action, really. It's um, So I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of calling it an occupation in a physical sense in any way, shape, or form, because it's not that. I'm more so like another definition of occupation, which I would say maybe um, the holding of an office or position. And so as I mentioned before, it seems like the House of Commons just gained an extra few seats and they're inside of semi-truck cabs. So they're more so holding a position, not an office, maybe maybe Parliament, you know, maybe the House of Commons just got a little bit bigger, but they're holding a position. That's what they're holding. It's an energy, it's a, it's a cycle, it's an idea, it's a position. Um and that's where I could see there's an occupation because this energy is rippling out around the world. So it might, again, it just feels totally like to them suffocating. Oh, these truckers are everywhere. And sure, they rolled in hot and heavy. But what you're seeing now is like a, is an energetic occupation in the sense of like they ha they're holding their position. They're there holding a position. Um, so they these occupiers are holding the line on their position. And that's why that whole saying, you walk around all weekend and you yell freedom and you say, hold the line. And then often met with, I love you, and things like that, right? So there is no physical possession. It does make me ask, 
why block protesters in though and call it an occupation, right? There's clearly a need for that. And if you look into political science and his, historically, that is a move of authoritarian or, and or, you know, communist regimes. So it serves a purpose for them. You know, they blocked off the war monument for fear of vandals won't destroy it. So they take a picture of it, right? Pointing it on, you know, pointing, pointing government-funded media in the direction of a story that spreads fear and divides. That's what I saw. Um, you know, this is my unbiased observation of what is happening here. I sought out, you know, mainstream media. I couldn't find them anywhere down there. Um, I was actually interviewed at random by, you know, 104.7 in Ottawa about the state of emergency. Um, they said, Doug Ford just declared a state of emergency. What do you think? And I said, yeah, I think, uh, I don't see a state of emergency around here. I looked around and I don't see it down here. Um, uh, but I do believe there's a state of emergency and I believe that state of emergency is the mental health and the mental well-being of individuals in Canada and around the world who have had to listen to this propaganda and all this government silliness, right? So I do believe there is a state of emergency, but it's not the same one he's talking about. So that was it. That was the only real, like, you know, that was that totally at random, just got stuck in my face and wanted to say all the things. So that's what I chose. And, um, you know, a trucker piped in and everyone around it was it was really good and mtv was there actually <laughs> which made sense because the playlist here at the you can actually check out check out the spotify playlist um it was it's pretty rocking all freedom freedom inspired tunes and uh so yeah mtv checking out justin trudeau's new crib that was they were there so that was cool um but yeah back to them being blocked in uh you know like supporters come in and yeah, sure, renting out hotel rooms. There was a buzz that the government was using taxpayer dollars to buy out rooms, but like, yeah, no, I would say on Saturday it was definitely busy in the sense, but like, I don't know, to have no rooms in hotels throughout the week, it, it just seems kind of weird. There's not that many people down there. Um, and I can't, of course, confirm that taxpayer dollars are going to buying out hotel rooms, but um, totally, I mean, streets are controlled by police. And they're, you know, and they're dancing and going to shift change by themselves they're walking through crowds police officers with their backpacks going to a shift change you know getting high-fived along the way and then when they make it to their gate most times they're sitting there tapping their feet right so if you watch cbc you'd think there's like cops in riot gear everywhere that's just not the case um there's no cops in riot riot gear at all in fact um the only scary police presence was the uh these cops that were all dressed in complete black um the and then they wore a red, a red toque, a red cap. And it was like, that's kind of weird. Like, again, with like political ideologies and colors and red being, you know, communist. And it's, it was kind of spooky. But once you honk your goose horn a couple times in their direction, you realize they're totally harmless. Um, what else could I say? Yeah, so I mean, I, I truly do believe that the terminology around this being the start of World War Three, it's quite possible with, you know, what Trudeau's done with calling a state of emergency. Um, that's purely political science observation, kind of something aside, like, because again, what I saw was this peace-loving protest, and what you're hearing is it's, they're terrorists, and it's a state of emergency, and you're freezing funds and stuff like that. So I would consider that, and I mean, um, Derek Sloan had sent out an email, I'm on a newsletter list, and, and he's asking, or he's basically stating that, yeah, he believes that Trudeau has declared war on, war on his own citizens. So it's very scary, and um, 
to be here in Canada right now. So please, if you're outside of Canada, share this far and wide with people. Uh, we need we need help here. Um, this is normally throughout history in you know international relations. This is normally when Western countries would send help to their allies to stop this type of authoritarian or communism, and it's not happening here for Canada, right? And it's scary when you look at all the documents of you know or I've heard of anyways U.S. military documents saying where they're planning warfare against you know guerrilla warfare against like truckers and uh you know right wing like people from the south if you will like they, they've ran these drills so it's you know again quite scary and considering i've learned that all this was supposed to happen back in 2007 in political science it it's cause for concern and hence why i'm trying to get this out before the curtain closes so anything else about um cop presence um yeah, like I said, they're they're dancing. I'm just checking out my notes here. They're they're you know dancing to the, not dancing per se, but tapping their feet. Um, but yeah, the yellow cop vests. I mean, those were the Ottawa police. You could tell. And I gathered just today the Ottawa chief of police um, retired or resigned. Rather, I don't know if retired resigned. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the question is, what is happening next? I guess. Um, and like laws broken is again, I'm no lawyer and I would say I recommend, so yeah, let me do this now. I'm recommending Viva Fry, which I've checked out initially in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, he's a, you know, he's got a YouTube channel, um, from, he's from Montreal and he's a lawyer. And so he's, you know, really enjoyable person, um, comes at it as from a lawyer's standpoint. So he's trying to remain neutral in a lot of things and he, he does a really good job interviewing, I believe so. He's one. Another one that I've just caught wind of here this weekend was um, Crackpot Farmer. He's giving ex or giving you know live feeds and stuff like that from Ottawa every day. So if you really want a, a ground level as to what's happening there with the protesters, um, that's definitely a, a great spot there. Kristen Nagel as well has been doing a lot of good covering on things, and uh, she's of course the uh, with Canada Frontline Nurses. She's a nurse that was fired here in London, Ontario, and um, has been doing a lot of yeah, reporting down there, a lot of live streams and that as well. Um, what else? So yeah, government freezing funds. So yeah, ways in which I believe the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, you know, these are the laws that have been broken if the Charter of Rights and Freedoms still exists. So government freezing funds. And again, there's probably some type of way that, you know, liberals can... They, they know they're getting around this by enacting emergency powers and stuff like that. Um, but I would say the, the mean, the grounds on which they've enacted those powers were falsified and we can prove that. So therefore I'd say this is them breaking the law by freezing funds and then, you know, mandating an experimental vaccine that hasn't been tested um, with no way of finding out who's become sick or from taking it or, you know, there's no liability to manufacturers, um, you know, no long-term testing doesn't meet the definition of safe. So, and then of course, elected officials making money from, you know, vaccines all the way to say selling COVID signs, right? So Doug Ford, we know owns a sticker company or a sign making company and all government offices had to get it through his company. His net worth, I think at the beginning of the pandemic was 3 million, went up to around 50 million now. So a lot of laws broken and uh, that's where the, I think the conversation needs to shift and I think that's where this conversation can end because I really have nothing else to say as to what my experience was other than it was an amazing, fun, 
healing uh, experience, there's there's highs and lows. There's that risk of you know, oh, are they going to break out the riot gear, which they don't. So when you when you leave out of that experience without having to see that or experience anything negative, it was um, it was truly yeah, it was just truly awesome to be a part of. One other thing that I did see was a bunch of war veterans take down the fencing around that war memorial. Um, and I posted that as an Instagram live as well, kind of explain what I saw there. Um, but yeah, I gather like, again, they, they, they roped this thing off and just to take a picture and put it on the six o'clock news. And there was no need to rope off this. There's no need to rope off anything there. It, it's peaceful. No one's vandalizing anything. Right. So this war memorial, they took down the fencing and then there was a whole bunch of veterans and a priest, pastor, someone there. Um, from a church who had done, you know, a service basically. And uh, yeah, it was quite powerful. We showed up right while the police were obviously watching them like stack neatly this fencing to the side. And um, it kind of got, you know, these veterans got down on one knee and were yelling to join us and we love you and thank you. And and so the police just kind of, you know, kept walking. And yeah, I mean, no need to rope these things off. No one's looking to vandalize anything. And so again, I, I think that's everything. Um, what a great experience if you can get out to Ottawa and you can do it safely. Um, yeah, please do send, we need good hearts and good people with feet on the ground there. It's, it, you know, keep the baggage or the, the unrest or the anger, keep it at home. You, of course, there's places there to talk with people who, you know, probably share your anger in that. But you, I think getting out and really just um, putting boots on the ground there. And, uh, you know, if you can support people that are in need that are down there right now, I think that's an important thing too. Um, but then overall, the conversation, like I said, needs to shift and it needs to shift to holding individuals accountable, you know, whether that be through the legal system or through firing people. But um, I think lawyers are starting to pick up their phone. And I know the paradox is real when you're putting all these, your stock in these, and, you know, in the rule of law and going through things peacefully and through lawyers. And it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate that it has to go that way, but luckily that is the way that this society at least had always operated, you know, in a just way. And what's why I believe this neck of the woods, why the Western world is great, despite some of the downfalls of, of this society, there's a lot of good things that have come out of it. And uh, I think the rule of law just kind of showed me through all this. I do, I do enjoy the rule of law because um, it, it is there to protect us, right? So anywho, I uh, really appreciate you guys listening and if you have any questions, comments, concerns about, you know, my experience or your experience was different, if you're a citizen of Ottawa and you enjoy the show and you uh, are, you know, experiencing things differently than what I have laid out here, then I'd love to hear from you. I hope to be posting more podcasts, but I can't guarantee that right now. I'm going to uh, put most stock into the newsletter. So if you do want to stay in touch, that's where you can, you know, find me there, rewildmybio.com. Head over there, set up, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, yeah, stay tuned for all of those future courses and conferences that I'm going to be piloting this year and hope to have more things written for you all to read. So as always, thanks for listening and stay wild. for listening to the rewild my bio podcast please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you have enjoyed this episode i have so much gratitude for all of you who continue to share this show with your friends it really does mean so much to me 
If you want more content from Rewild My Bio, then please check out rewildmybio.com to find previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter. In the newsletter, I share blogs I have written and reflections from my current health promotion research. Please follow along on Instagram and Telegram with the handle at rewildmybio and on Twitter at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay wild.